preach. Anyway, lots going on, lots happening, and so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 6. Uh, we're in the middle of our sermon, our Summer on the Mount series. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to start off with um, just uh, so this phrase I hear a lot in my house now. I have three young kids. And uh, it's this phrase I hear often. I, it's a phrase I heard this morning uh, before I left. Is Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. Right? Have you ever, do you ever have young kids that, that do that? Daddy, look at me. And so uh, this past few weeks, like Levi uh, learned how to just jump into the pool and do a cannonball. And so uh, in his best anchorman, Ron Burgundy style of jumping into the pool, like he just was so excited to show me that he could do a cannonball, even though he did it completely wrong. Um, he didn't do much holding of the knees, but what he thought was he was doing was this idea of having this uh, cannonball experience. Uh, my daughter this morning, she had on these new pairs of this like new sandals that she was all excited for me to wear. And so the girls often when their hair is braided or they're wearing this nice dress, like Daddy, look at me, right? And what is a child doing in that moment, right? They want to be seen, right? They want to be noticed. They want to be delighted in. They want to be cherished. And I think for all of us, especially our kids, um, there's this need for just attention or to be noticed or to be seen, right? And I think from an early age, we see that, that young kids need to be noticed and seen. And and I just, to follow up, uh, like for even that announcement, and last week was Father's Day, you know, I think as a father, that's one of our main responsibilities, right? Is to show and, like, and let our kids be known and seen. And if you have shown studies that those kids who happen to grow up without a father, that there's these consequences, and there's uh, data and science that backs this all up, that if they don't have this from a, from a father or from even a parent or some people in their life that just say, I see you, I notice you, I approve of you, that often, right, they go and look for that in other places, right? And so, um, and even if you, if you've been in, in, in a moment of despair or depression where you're like at the lowest point of your life, you may have asked yourself, like, does anybody even notice me? Does anybody even see me? Right? And so there is, again, this deep need of ours, desire of ours to be seen and noticed. But as we go from kids, there's this innocent, hey, do you see me? Do you delight me? As we grow up and we get into adolescence, uh, then it becomes the need or desire to not uh, just not to be noticed or seen, but it's to uh, kind of uh, manage our perception of us right, where we begin to worry about being hurt or made fun of. And so now we move from that to uh, I got to impress or hide certain things about me, right? And we see this a lot in like the adolescence, and we're all probably have done this where we need to do certain things to impress certain people uh, or to hide certain things about us out of fear in order for fear of rejection. And so I have a funny story. My friend in college, um, uh, we were on the beach, and uh, he is one that does not like oceans, does not like swimming, and uh, so we're all, there's five of us guys, and we're hanging out on this trip, and yet he's like standing on the sideline by the beach by himself, and there happened to be some girls like near us, and uh, who he thought were attractive and that sort of thing, so he's like, I'm going to muster up this, the, the courage, I'm going to go into the ocean to try to impress these girls, right? And um, this isn't me, by the way, okay? I'm not doing one of those like my friend. Um, and uh, 
But so he like starts going into the ocean and, you know, he's built up this courage and this big wave kind of comes and kind of hits him. And then like water like gets in his mouth. He starts choking on the water and then he just throws up in the midst of the ocean. I'm like, that is not one way to impress a girl on the beach. Uh, but I, I'm sure many of us, we can think about even ways where, uh, or seen instances or examples where there's been this desire to impress, right? Or even to hide. If you are a small group host, right, you know how to do this. Like you clean before everybody comes over, right? So it looks like your house is perfect, right? And, uh, and we've all experienced some of that. And, and for me, I remember as an early in my middle school years, I uh, just noticed you know, I had two older brothers that I could see and learn from their mistakes. I could see what they did that got approval, and I, I could see what they did that also didn't get good approval and just do the opposites of those things, right? And so I made it like this vow as like a middle schooler, right, to, to be successful, to, do, to be really good at school, to pursue a, a career in education that people would be impressed by. And, and it just led to this, uh, what I call a bondage to just uh, what, who I became was more about what other people thought of me. And I remember in high school, I, I liked to teach. And I even thought about, like, oh, I might be a teacher. And this is a not for teachers, okay, by the way. But there was even this, uh, I talked myself out of it because it wasn't impressive enough, right? People wouldn't go, oh, you're not Dr. Johnny. You know, you're, you're just a teacher, right? Again, nothing against teachers. But that's kind of the mindset that I had growing up was, it was more about what other people thought of me. And I'm sure many of us have maybe have experienced some of that, that kind of bondage or where you, you're really under the, the tyranny of other people's opinions, of uh, just fear of what other people might think of you. That sometimes you might be in this moment where we can be somebody different in our private self, but when we're around specific people or specific situations where we don't feel ourselves or feel like we might be incompetent, we feel like we need to, to change who we are. I'm bringing this up because we're going to, we're switching a kind of um, things here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus kind of changes directions a little bit, and he's actually going to speak to this. Because he's going to set to a warning of giving some, a set of warnings in the, kind of in the, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount uh, of alerting us to things that will block or hinder a life constantly interactive with God and the healthy growth in his kingdom. And he highlights two specific things. One of them, I'm sure you guessed, is the desire to have approval of others. And then later on, it will be desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. He says, these two desires have the potential to pull us out of the sway of the kingdom, which is the range of God's effective will. But if we keep these two things in their proper place through a constant, disciplined, and clear-eyed reliance on God, we will grow rapidly in the kingdom's substance. So we're going to actually talk through, okay, what does Jesus have to say about just living for the approval of others? Okay, so here we go. We're in verse 1 of chapter 6 in Matthew. So he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, 
and your Father uh, who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so I'm going to break this down a little bit. What does this even mean? Because again, this is first century uh, context in the Jewish culture, um, and it, we may some of it's not so relevant to us. I don't think anybody brought their trumpet in this morning, and if you did, uh, just take it home with you, okay? Um, we don't need a trumpet. Uh, this, <laughs> there you go. Although, they, like, a couple weeks ago, our preschoolers got, like, trumpets. Um, I don't know whose idea what that is, but anyway. Um, so let's, let's break this down. The beginning first verse says this, be careful not to practice. It's again, it's this practice word we use. It's, 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 there's a few instances of this in the Sermon on the Mount. It, it really is a construction word. It's, it's to build, right? Uh, to, to make. And so Jesus instructed his followers to put these things into practice. But Jesus is instructing, hey, don't practice this righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. All right? And so what he's not saying is to not do good works. Okay? So this is not what he's saying. He's not saying good works or good deeds are bad, but again, we're going to talk about what's the end goal, because in Matthew 5, where we talked about at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right, he instructed, like, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, it seems like Jesus is kind of contradicting himself, but what Jesus is instructing here is like the litmus test of this, whether you can do it in public or private, is who, who looks good? Who gets the glory? So if you do it in such a way where they go, oh, Johnny, you're so awesome. Look, at, look how generous he is. Like that's something that's probably meant to be private, right? But if something you see do something in such a way that makes go, God, how, how incredible God is. Look what he did. Look how he, he healed that person. Or look, look how much money we raised for this uh, cause to, to, whatever, alleviate poverty, to help refugees. Right? God gets the glory in that. So we can let our light shine uh, in front of other people. And actually, people will give glory to God. But Jesus gives us this warning. The warning is the end goal has become to be seen by them right? All these things. He's going to go through three things eventually of, of giving to the poor, praying, and fasting, where these were like uh, vehicles, right? To a, these are means to an end to take us somewhere, right? For many of you who are going on a road trip this summer, you're going to get in your nice little minivan, right? And you're going to go to a destination. And depending on what you have your heart set on going, that's where you're going to end up. But these things are a means to an end. And Jesus is warning when the end has become to be seen by them. It's, it's the word where we get theater, right? It's the goal and purpose of a theater is for people to come together, to be a spectacle, to have an audience, uh, to be applauded, right? And so Jesus is warning, hey, if the end goal has to be seen by other people, you've missed the point. You missed the whole point of where God wants you to go. And he says, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. It's like a pretty big thing, right? Even giving to the poor, that's just a great thing. But if you do it in such a way just to be seen, Jesus is saying, I don't see it, and I won't reward you. I want to read this again. So he's, he's going to I want to talk specifically about giving the poor what you should do. So he says, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. I'm going to stop there and talk a little bit about that. Uh, that thing. And so um, what you would see here in the synagogues, like they don't actually think people carried around trumpets and like blasted them. What they think is uh, what the synagogues would have is they would have these 
what you would think of our black boxes in the back, right? They would have these at the synagogues where people could drop off different offerings and givings. And one of those was what they call almsgiving, where all that money would go specifically to the poor. So when you think about a synagogue, I want you to think about it's like part church. This is where they would come to worship and get receive teaching. It'd be part, um, like, think of a food pantry is like the government, the Roman government wasn't one to like help the poor. And so the synagogue would be this uh, community center where when people gave the offering, they would redistribute that to the poor. And, and so uh, one of these things that they would do is they have these black, think of our black boxes, or even if you're familiar with the kettle, you know, for Salvation Army, you know, where people can deposit their, you know, good deeds and you only deposit when somebody's at the kettle, right? So you don't look bad. Anyway, so what, what the, what they, uh, is that just me? All right, I, I'm, that's just, might just be me. But what, what they say is these black boxes or where they could donate uh, to the poor, what they did is they designed these, to, and you would, often they used like a ram's horn. And so a chauffeur, right, this was what they used for as a trumpet, right, to blow a horn. And so what actually is happening here is people are like calculating how the best way they could give to get their attention. So they'd have these kind of ram-shaped horns, and it's really to prevent theft for people like to sticking their hands in and getting that. So what these rich people were doing, and so they could tell how much money they were giving by the sound they would be making, right, into the, into the black box, right? And so what they were doing is they would like try to make the most sound, right, because you were giving the most amount of money. Uh, and so they were calculating, like, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my alms about 2 o'clock. That's when the synagogue leader, he'll be out there and where my friends and neighbors will be. So when I go and give my gift to the poor, I'm going to make it sound, right? So people can see how generous and how awesome I am, right? This is this mindset. So Jesus is saying, when you give, don't sound the trumpet. Don't sound the black box. Give in secret. Don't calculate it. Don't think about who's going to be there or who's not going to be there. Don't think about what sound it will make or to do like one coin at a time. Dunk, you know, dunk, dunk. He's saying do it in secret because the thing that really matters is your father in heaven and how he sees you. This was very important. They called these, these boxes that were called Sedeka boxes, and actually it would be translated again in, in Hebrew, that's a word for righteousness, because it was going to the poor. And so not just giving to the poor was uh, just even the right thing to do. So Jesus is actually saying just doing the right thing or even this right behavior of giving to the poor isn't enough for this in, inner kingdom righteousness. He's saying doing right with the wrong heart or with the wrong motivation, will get you a reward. It will get you noticed, but it won't be from God. But if you do right with the right heart, you will get the reward or you'll get the notice or approval from God. Again, he says this, right? When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that, money, that, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's another story in Luke 21, right, where Jesus is with his disciples, and they're outside of this synagogue, all right? And he looked up, in verse 1, he says, he looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. Boom! And then he saw a poor widow drop in two tiny coins. Right? 
And he says, truly I tell you, he said, the poor widow has put more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. So if you think about the sound of what the rich were giving versus the sound of what that widow was giving, right? Nobody would have noticed. Nobody would have noticed her gift, right? But the promise is Jesus is saying is, but I see her, right? This was her reward. Like she's the, the Jesus, the Messiah, the, the, the God of the universe saw her uh, because it was about her heart. It was about giving in such a way uh, that she lived in such a way as it was all about her father. I'm going to talk a little bit about that phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, it's just signifying that, again, your right hand was most often what you would have gave with, right? Most people were right-handed. This is what they would be depositing their money in. So you're doing it in such a way where you're not, like, thinking about it. You're not calculating. You're not going, okay, uh, you just give. What Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he sums it up this way, and I think uh, this sums it up so well. He says, but we must never forget that Jesus points beyond action to the source of action and character. This is a general principle that governs all he says. The kind of people who have been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds just naturally throw from their character and are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. As for example, when driving one's own car or speaking one's own native language, what they do, they do naturally, often automatically, simply because of what they are pervasively and internally. These are people who do not have to invest a lot of reflection in doing good for others. Their deeds are in secret no matter who is watching, for they are absorbed in love of God and of those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it. This is the whole point of this this Sermon on the Mount. It's just not doing the right things. It's about becoming the right kind of people. And this whole sermon, this whole purpose, is this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, contrasting, uh, he's contrasting mainly two groups of people, the religious and the non-religious, and yet Jesus is calling them to be even something separate, to be separate, separated and to be set apart different from everybody else. And the emphasis is, again, just doing the right thing or the right behavior isn't enough. That doing right with the wrong heart It will get you reward, but it won't be from God. Doing right with the right heart will get you the reward. And so he goes on and he he goes through these examples. So we we talked about how to give. And I don't have time to go through all these, but he talks about prayer. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites just is another word for actor. So don't be like an actor. Because they love to pray, stand in the synagogues, and go on the streets Corners to what? Be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Verse 16 says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is what? Obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Reward. These were the three devout practices of a, of of a Jewish, but also a follower of Jesus. They were a means to an end. And again, these are practices towards God. And so uh, let's transition to how does this impact us? How does this impact us? Because again, I don't see anybody bring any trumpets. 
you know, as a staff meeting, we never have talked about, like, you know how in, like, ministry time, people are, like, making loud noises in the black boxes in the back? Like, we need to do something about that, right? We don't tend to have this kind of issue, right? I, I, I haven't seen anybody, like, post their giving statement on their Facebook page, right? Of, look how generous I am. But I would say, when you look at this context and you look at our context, I would say that people really want to look good in front of others, don't we? We want to look in a certain way in front of others and occasionally get a nice pat on the back. I think an easy example of this is, right, social media, right? Uh, and don't worry, I'm not going to, like, knock social media too much, but, right, social media, and whether you have an Instagram or Facebook account, is like you get to curate whatever image you want, right? And you can only get to show all the good things. So, like, for me, uh, occasionally I have posted in the past of a woodworking project and would show a picture of this table I built. But I never posted when, like, I did the table wrong and I had to, like, cut the ends of it off. And now, like, even my leg is kind of broken a little bit. Like, I don't post that, right? I, I just post what it looks like after you put a nice finish on it. And this is what we can do in our culture is it, we have a culture that is obsessed with our image or the image we portray to others. And we can go to a lot of areas, whether it's our careers or educations or homes or all these things. And again, the motivation, these things in them of themselves aren't bad, but it's, it's the end goal of these things, right? To be seen by others that I think that Jesus wants to break uh, from us. John Mark Comer says it this way. He says, our culture is obsessed with image, with looking good over being good with applause and accolades from people rather than attention and approval from the Father. And it's exhausting. Always trying to keep up, you know, stay cool, stay informed, well-read, up-to-date, in vogue. We, un- we end up living with our emotional state rising or falling, basing on what people are or aren't saying about us. We end up living into a stereotype from our culture rather than our identity and calling from God, living under the tyranny of the approval or disapproval of other people. And the question then is, how do we break free of that? How do we break free, and how do we experience the freedom um, that we get just to live out as far as the only opinion about us that matters is our Father in heaven? Like, how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where the only opinion that matters about who we are is what God says about us. Again, the Christian way, which is secret, is the way of the secret. And this feels heavy, or it feels like, man, Jesus is, um, this doesn't feel like good news, but the reality is this, this is good news, right? The kingdom of God is good news, because now we only have to live for an audience of one, Right? I don't know about you, but uh, this, this has been a struggle, even like from my adolescence. I've seen it map out in my life of trying to impress all the different audiences in our life, our, our work peers, uh, our friends who knew us from high school, uh, our family. Like there's all this time of trying to curate an image that all of them accept. And, and I just got to the point, I remember in college, 
Uh, I was trying to live on this fence and trying to do things that my friends that would approve of, would try to do things that my Christian friends were to do, and I was trying to do it all, but I realized if I try to live a life that impresses everyone, I end up impressing no one, and then I end up becoming somebody that I'm not. And Jesus' invitation is you get to be who I've created you to be if you live under just one, one audience. And that's just me, your Heavenly Father. And you can cultivate that by just these things that you do in secret, in private. And so I, I just listed a few practices because these things in them of themselves um, are the way we leave, live a life of just an audience of one. And one of those practices is generosity. You know, taking small te- steps towards just living for that approval of God, being generous with what he's given us. And, and that can look a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the simplest ways is our food pantry. Uh, every month, we just have a list of things that you could donate and give towards. Um, June, it's shampoo, soap, toothpaste, and deodorant. Next Sunday, we're going to have a list of different things. We're, we're serving over 100 families every single week. Um, and it's kind of crazy. Uh, in mid-Ohio, the place we get our food from, um, we're struggling to get food. <laughs> you can now talk to Cindy that they are shortage of donations and people. And so uh, we get to live and embody this life of generosity. This is, this, generosity is not bad, right? It's, it's this way to be connected and to God. But again, don't post on Facebook, look at me donating all these things to the church. Like that's not the end goal. Again, prayer, just getting alone in the secret with God. Uh, that's a, another thing. Fasting, if you've never fasted before, you know, try taking 24 hours of no eating because often I think sometimes the, the audience we live for can sometimes be our own appetites and desires, right, of, of what we want. And this is a practice that puts that aside and just says, I want to do something because the only approval I need is you, God. And even just worship. Like, I was just reflecting on this this morning. Like, what, what would your worship look like if it, the only way you worship, the only person that mattered was, was Jesus? How would that change how you would worship? When you weren't maybe concerned about the person to the left of you, how would you worship in such a way that the only opinion that mattered was your Heavenly Father? And I, I think there's, I've kind of ran out of time here, but what's at stake, Right? I don't know about you, but I just got exhausted from trying to live that life of impressing others. And it's been a journey. Like, I remember when I first uh, became a Christian, I was afraid to pray in public <laughs> right before a meal. Like, to, to, if I was mentoring somebody and he's like, oh, let's pray, I'd be like, oh, really, do we have to? Can we just, like, do one of those silent prayers, like, God's neat, let's eat, and then let's go after it? And just being worried about, oh, are people looking at me? I remember when I first came here, a small group, the Spurlings, uh, we read this great book, when, when People Are Big and God Is Small. Like this idea, we've given this power to other people who, who are, we're saying your opinion matters more than what God's opinion is. And we can do this life. And, and I think for many of us, there's a desire to be, who we, uh, to be authentic in who we are and to live and walk out what God has for us. And I think if we do that, I think there's a joy, there's a freedom that we get to experience in the kingdom when we live for just one audience, one person. And that's all that matters, what he says, what he matters. So I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to have Ryan come up, and we're going to just move into a ministry time.
And I'm just amazed that, you know, as we move in here, that, that Scripture just speaks to so much more. Like 2,000 years ago, right, this thing was written. And it speaks to the very heart of what we all struggle with, doesn't it? That's why I love the Jesus. Like his teachings just transcend times. It transcends culture. Uh, he, he speaks to the very heart what it means to be human and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm just going to invite you just in this moment, just to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We just end as a way where, where we just don't sing about God moving, but we expect God to move. We expect for him to show up. We're going to come as little children before our Heavenly Father and, and say, Daddy, do you see us? Do you notice us? Do you love us? So we come with just an open heart and open hand to say, Come, Holy Spirit. If it's you who just desire that freedom, that you're kind of tired of, of living for the approval of other people, but there's this invitation to kind of just lay that down before Jesus. Like, I'm tired of living this way. I want to experience the freedom that you have, that to experience your delight, your notice and attention. And so I'm just going to have Ryan just pray through it, and this is just between you and Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to have you do anything uh, at the moment, but just take a moment and just, uh, it's just between you and him. And whatever ways, uh, I just sense he's just going to reveal certain things in certain ways that you've tried to, to um, impress other people, these other people you've given power to speak your value and who you are. And he's just going to say, hey, will you just give it to me? He's not going to do it in condemnation. He's just going to say, I want you just to give it to me.